We are continuing on 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and actually just finishing uh, that portion that we looked at last week about lawsuits among Christians. And you might be wondering, why are we doing something like this in the middle of Advent? Well, we're following God's Word, and God's Word is good wherever it comes. And uh, it has things for us and all the different things, and believe it or not, Every portion of scripture we hit is going to come into Advent. <laughs> it's going to come into talking about Jesus Christ and the fact that he came. And it's going to point to the fact that we need to look for him coming again. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians here, and as last week we looked at things and it said that these lawsuits that were happening within the church at Corinth, that they're foolish and that they're shameful. They don't reflect what Christ has done for us. <laughs> and they were getting caught up in all those different things. And, and uh, as we go forward, we're going to see that the third thing that gets brought about is that they raise suspicions as to the spiritual state of the ones that are involved, <laughs> of, of we who are in the church. And by the way, what is the most important thing about for you and me? Is it the most important thing is to show up at church and make sure we're on the roster? Or is the most important thing the spiritual state of our souls and where our faith is? <laughs> and Paul is bringing them simply back to that. And he's bringing us back to that even as we look at things here today. I want to read just from 1 Corinthians 6 there, those, those last um, three verses, 9, 10, and 11. As we finish that end of things, and we hit there. It says there, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. And as we go forward, bring us once again and remind us of who we are in you. And Lord, where there's a heart here, or where our hearts have that sin that we're hanging on to or the, the sin that, that comes at us each day. <laughs> May we be reminded again when we trust in you of the change that you have made. And Lord, may I be reminded too that, that I'm a work in progress. That you, O Holy Spirit, are working through your word in my life each day. May you continue to do that. May you remind me to look into the manger and to know that you did come, Jesus. You came to be the Redeemer, the Savior of the world, to save me from my sin. Thank you for that. I, I pray these things in your name and I pray you would sanctify us in this truth today. Amen. As these suspicions have arisen with things. I want to remind you, though, that Paul says something here in the middle of all this. He, as he says these things, he, 
knows that these people have been involved in these things before. And he's not saying that people who are involved in these things that we're going to talk about here can't be saved because he uses the very words, such were some of you. (laughs) That whole list of things that he does there, he says to them, such were some of you. (laughs) But he's very clear also about the fact that we should not continue on in the lifestyle of those things. Don't continue in those behaviors. Those behaviors that are destructive and violent and contrary to the very will of God. It's so fun as, as in confirmation we're going through the Ten Commandments right now and, and hitting each of those things. We're reminded that to keep the Ten Commandments doesn't save us. Because we can't do it. <laughs> But it doesn't take those Ten Commandments and throw them out. Those Ten Commandments become the things that God wants us to do. And in His strength, we go forward in that. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in that process. And the Ten Commandments become not a list then of do-nots, which they are, but they then become a list of things where you are to love God and to love our neighbor. As ourselves. And as Paul here makes this list, (laughs) he's noting to the Corinthians that some suspicions start to arise when we're doing these things by taking each other to court or taking each other into all these different things and we're all about our rights and all the things that way. We're not loving God and loving our neighbor. We begin to be characterized by, well, we start characterizing ourselves by our past instead of moving forward in Christ and what God can do in our lives. And so you may recall the incident in the Gospels um, in Luke 19 when Jesus came into Jericho and he saw the, 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 the man up in the tree. Remember his name? Zacchaeus, he was that wee little man. We all remember the Sunday school song and the things that way. Um, But Jesus called him down from the tree and he went to his home for lunch that day. And afterwards, Zacchaeus came out. And what did Zacchaeus begin to do? God made an immediate change in Zacchaeus' life. He began to give away his money. He began to repay those from who he had stolen. And to repay them not only the amount that he had stolen from them, but as much as four times as much. And nobody has ever doubted that Zacchaeus was converted from that day on. (laughs) It changed his whole life. His attitude changed so completely that his behavior began to alter almost immediately. And that's what Paul is talking about here, that there should be the change that people see. Now, don't get me wrong. Are are we going to be perfect right away? No, we're not even going to be perfect on the day we die. (laughs) We won't be perfect till we see our Lord face to face. And are in His presence, whether in death or whether in His second coming. (laughs) In 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. That's God's side of it. He reads the heart, but you and I can't see that. 
The way we can tell is the next part of the verse. It says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It begins the way that the evidence is there of whether we're a believer or not. Now, again, we don't base it all on that evidence. But I always remember as a young man, there was a poster that I saw. and was a, a poster that said, if you were arrested for being a Christian... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> it's a good, good thing to look at. And he lists then the, some of the lifestyles that are here. These are the lifestyles or the behaviors that are not meant to be within what God has saved us for. What God wants. Sin is not to be a part of our lives. We're supposed to be holy. Only God is holy, and it's only in His holiness and His righteousness that we can go forward. He works on us, but these are a list of those lifestyles. He says, those that are sexually immoral, those that seek that intimacy without commitment, while God has created intimacy for that true commitment of marriage. Those that are idolatrous, that are enamored with a false belief system, and those that are willing to replace God with things that are created. Sometimes even good things that replace God. Those that are adulterers, those that are willing to participate in that intimacy in order to break the exclusive bonds of marriage. Those that are willing to intrude on that covenant relationship. Those that practice homosexuality. Those that are willing to go outside of God's design for intimacy, for marriage. For God has made man and woman for each other. The design is rather obvious. It is not man for man and not woman for woman in the marriage covenant. Those that are thieves and greedy, those that practice covetous because they're not content with what they have been given or what they've earned. Those that are drunkards, those that are willing to give up self-control, often to embarrassment of their own selves to others and to others that they know and become dangerous to all involved. Those that are revilers, those that are that willingly destroy others with their tongue, with slander and lies, and those that are swindlers, those that are willing to steal discreetly and indirectly. All of these behaviors are outside the realm of what God desires. So if they're true, and by the way, as we go through that, that's the hard part of some of you should experience what it is to preach sometimes. Because when you preach, you end up preaching right at yourself. The very things that are right there, you see. If they're true of us, those are the changes that God needs to make. The things that God begins to work on and in our lives in those ways. And But if we are going to insist to keep on living in those things... Um, we're starting to give a testimony that, that God is not God anymore in our lives. That He's not our Savior. We're trying to do it ourselves again. Notice how Paul closes this on a rather practical, positive note. In verse 11 there he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Corinthians had come a long way, but they couldn't settle for where they were. They still had much more 
to know that God's going to keep working on you. You remember that the little kid, there's the, the kid's song, He's still working on me <laughs> to make me what I ought to be. <laughs> it took six days to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. All loving and patient He must be. <laughs> He's still working on me. <laughs> We still have that too. We need the growth that Christ will bring. (laughs) For the truth is right there before us. For we have been declared right with God. When we trust in Him, we have been justified. (laughs) In this section about lawsuits, Paul uses that legal term, of justification as he points to the fact that our salvation is a finished work in the sight of God. We don't add to it. We have been declared right and therefore we have a new standing before God. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see us. He sees Jesus Christ and His righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ covers our sin. And it's accomplished in the name of Jesus Christ. What Christ did on the cross, it was done with His authority and His power and it was won through His death and made victorious by His resurrection. And then it says, and we have been made holy. We have been sanctified. We've been changed. The Word of God begins to work in our lives. It has drawn us to Him in salvation. It now does those changes and we need that Word each day. He's given us, He has set us apart so that we can live differently from the rest of the world. He's given us the ability to have a new behavior. He's given us the ability to live in such a way that is pleasing to Him. Don't forget that aspect. There's there's still the two natures that are there. The old nature is still going to fight hard. But now there's the new nature in Christ. The old saying is, which one are you going to feed the most? (laughs) Which one? We need that new nature to grow. And again, I think of an old Sunday school song. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow grow. The process that the Holy Spirit uses as He works through. There was a couple who told about how they got married at Soledad Prison shortly after becoming Christians. They were, they were in there because they had been involved with drug and all kinds of evil things. But when they came to Christ in prison and then they got married, their attitude was so changed by the experience and by God's Word as it began to work in their lives Those things that they had once done, though they still had a hold on them in some ways and they struggled with those things, those things became offensive and repulsive to them. And the woman put it in a very straightforward way. She said, when I think of all the things I did, she said, it was yuck to me. That, my friend, is a process of how sanctification works. The things that are against God, the evil things, begin to become yuck to us. And he started this whole last section with verse 11 there. He says, we have been washed up. Now, I don't mean washed up by 
done away with. But in a sense, we die to ourselves, don't we? But we've been washed. We've been regenerated. In Titus 3.5, Paul wrote, he said, He saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. God has washed the filth from our lives. He has cleansed us, cleaned us up. He has given us new life. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And so we're not to go back to that dirt and the grime of sin. We live in a sinful world. We will be in areas where there will be that sinful aspect. We are living among sinful people. We are sinful ourselves and we'll have opportunities to share within that, but we're not to go back to that lifestyle. And then we're able to live that difference, not because of ourselves and because how hard we try, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through that word and that new nature that God has put within us. And that's what Christianity, true Christianity, is all about. It's it's clear from this whole passage that the testimony of the Christians here at Corinth before the watching world needed to come back again to show love and concern for others instead of ourselves, to deal with the things that are in our own lives. To not be caught up with that selfish spirit of I've got to have my rights at all costs. And it begins to be broken within us then to even be willing to suffer loss or even be defrauded ourselves in the name of Jesus Christ so that his name is advanced, not ours. (laughs) That's what makes the world begin to sit up and take notice because we begin to point people to Jesus. A few years ago, Chuck Colson was standing in a long line in Jakarta, Indonesia. He and his, some of his prison, prison fellowship, if you know Chuck Colson was, uh, prison fellowship colleagues had been traveling all night. It was near early morning and the terminal was hot and steamy and they were tired. And as Chuck relates in his new book, in his book, Being the Body, he says, He said, my passport in my sticky hand, I was exhausted. I was exasperated at the long, inefficient line snaking ahead of us. I was worried we're going to miss our next flight and miss the chance to be with the ministry friends who are waiting for us. But Chuck added, he said, I was also determined not to let my frustration get the better of me. I talked with my friends, we laughed, and we made the best of the situation. He says, two years later, I received a letter from a businessman who lived in Singapore. The man had been a follower of Confucius, but he sent his children to Sunday school at a Presbyterian church for moral training. And he said, one Sunday as he picked up his kids, he heard the end of the sermon. A visiting missionary had been there and held up a copy of Chuck's first book, Born Again. And on the cover was a picture of Chuck. And he said, a few months later, this businessman was stuck 
in a long line in Jakarta, Indonesia. And glancing over to the next line, he spotted the same face that he had seen on the cover of that book, Born Again. And he said, I was so impressed by Chuck Colson's calm demeanor and cheerfulness that when he said, when I got back to Singapore, I got the book, I read it, and it pointed me to Jesus Christ. And he said, I committed my life to Jesus. (laughs) The question I can ask you is, are you and I living in such a way? (laughs) Are we living a frivolous life? as the frivolous lawsuits that were happening within the church of Corinth, are we living that faithful life? I simply want to end this message by reading those words or from memory as best because I have them in different versions in my head, but Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is from God. It's the, the way I learned it. It is the gift of God, not by works so that any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You and I, if we trust in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We We are regenerated. We are washed in the blood of Christ. And then that process of sanctification is God working on us right now. And one day we'll understand that fully as we stand before him. Oh, may you and I not try to do this on our own, but trust in him. That's where the rubber meets the road today, doesn't it? Where's your heart? Where's my heart? Are we trusting in Him? Lord, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for how You use even some of the most uncomfortable situations, I'm sure, as the Corinthians were reading this, and that there was some squirming. (laughs) We squirm, Lord, when we hear the different things. But Lord, there's that wonderful truth that in our brokenness, You've given us the ability to simply trust in You. And You can change our lives so that we can know that wonderful truth of the Gospel and the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation, the gift of redemption, the gift of forgiveness in You and You alone, Jesus. As we sing this song and go once again to the little town of Bethlehem, Lord, even in singing, may you draw our hearts unto you as we see you as a baby in the manger. And then as we receive your body and blood later in just a bit, may we be reminded of what you have done. May we come to you in the grace and knowing the mercy that you offer us. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen.